Well, good morning, Grace Church. My name is Shegan Aigusi. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, this morning we are in a sermon, a uh, standalone sermon titled Grapes and Giants, based on the events that took place in Numbers chapter 13, Old Testament book of Numbers chapter 13. And in that account, um, that account is the eve of what should have been the grand entrance of the Israelites into the promised land that God had assigned to them. And so as we make our way through Numbers 13 this morning, the question that we are going to answer is this. What has God been calling you to do or calling you to step into that fear has kept you from following through on? Like, what is it that God sort of been stirring in your heart and you're like, man, I, I, I believe this is what the Lord would have me do, have my family do, have us do, but ah, you're gonna, there's, some, there's some giants there that are kind of scary. My prayer and my hope is that by the end of this message that the Spirit of God would have moved your heart from fearful hesitation into bold action um, based on an accurate evaluation of what God's already done in your life. And that'll make sense as we go along. But we're going to be in Numbers 13 this morning. It'll be on the screen if you want to use your mobile device or the paper Bible, that's fine. Um, as you're looking for Numbers 13 in the Old Testament, let me set up the story for you. Uh, so up until this point, God has freed the Israelites from 400 years of slavery in Egypt led by Moses. And these former slaves, they're numbering somewhere 2 million plus, these former slaves have witnessed in the process some of the biggest miracles of the Bible as God forced King Pharaoh's hand to release the Israelites from captivity. And, and God didn't just free them, but God's actually leading them to a new home, a place called Canaan, a place that God describes metaphorically as a land that's flowing with milk and honey. Now, let me show you their journey on a map so you get a sense of what's happening here. So they start off in Egypt. That's where they've been in slavery. And God's going to lead them through Egypt. He's going to actually lead them through what, uh, to the right, what is modern-day Saudi Arabia. And he's going to circle them and bring them right to that location in the arrow. That's, that's modern-day Israel. That's where Canaan was back then. Now, let's come up to an ancient map. And so you can actually see where they start to the left is Ramses, and that's in Egypt and God leads them. He brings them down, if you can see it on the screen, to number three. That's where they cross the Red Sea. And then he brings them southward towards the Sinai Peninsula. That's where he gives Moses the Ten Commandments, the law, because before they go into their new home, they need instructions for how to live in this new place. And so God circles them back up, up until number 12. And that location in number 12 is a place called Kadesh Barnea. And it's right on the border of their promised land. Everything, can we get the arrow up there, Dennis? Everything northward of that location is the promised land. And so when we get to Numbers chapter 13, they are at this staging ground. And while they're there, God says this to them in, number, in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 21. God says, see, the Lord your God has given you the land. Go up and take possession of it as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, told you, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. 
So that's instruction. It's theirs for the taking. God's given it to them. But at that border location, at their staging ground, while they're waiting, God tells Moses to send uh, 12 men, 12 spies on a reconnaissance mission to go explore the land, right? They are to look at the best route. What's the land like? What are the people like? Bring some of its fruit back so we can see what it's like. And so Moses selects 12 men, one person from each of the 12 tribes of Israel, and two out of those 12 spies are individuals named Caleb and Joshua, and they're important to our story, you'll see as we go along. But from this expedition, uh, we're going to learn what it takes to step away from fear and step out in faith into what God's already been calling you into. And the big idea that'll flow from the story, that'll flow from this account is quite simply this. That at all times, in all that you do, remember that your God is bigger than your fears. Your God is bigger than your fears. Now, remembering is not just a mental exercise. There are actually three action steps that are required uh, in order to remember that God's beginning your fears. I'll give them to you, and we'll spend the rest of the morning working through each one of them. The first one is this. Look for confirmation of God's call on your life. Number two is separate the facts from your fears. And then number three, look with eyes of faith into your future. Look into your future, what you sense God's calling you into with eyes of faith. Let's flesh out each one of them, starting with the first action step, which is look for confirmation. When you sense that God's calling you into something new and you're a little hesitant, before you jump into it, look, look, look over the course of your life. Look for confirmation of your call. If you go to Numbers chapter 13, verse 23, Moses sends the spies in. They make their way throughout the land, and then it says this in 23. It says, when the spies, when they reached the valley of Eshcol, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them, along with some pomegranates and figs. That place was called the Valley of Eshgal because of the cluster of grapes the Israelites cut off there. At the end of the 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. They came back to Moses and Aaron, that's Moses' brother, and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly of Israel and showed them the fruit of the land. And they gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. In fact, here is its fruit. So their exploration, their expedition has yielded fruit. I mean, literally, right? Like they discover the land is so incredibly fertile that even one cluster of grapes is so large that it requires two men to carry on beams balanced between their shoulders. Like, like try to wrap your mind around the size, uh, around the, the size of those grapes. Like most clusters of grapes that you and I would pick around here, or even in the Middle East, uh, would probably fit in the palm of your hand. Even the big ones would, would fit in the palm of your hands. But these guys found land that could grow grapes the size of a full-grown man. It's so large, it requires two men to carry it. In other words, the land is exactly what God promised it would be, right? God says it's flowing with milk and honey, which is a, to an agricultural society means I've hooked y'all up. 
Like it, it's a land of blessing and, and prosperity and, and riches. And to an agricultural society, you're, you've made it. So, so the fruit, before they went in, the fruit was a confirmation that what God was calling them into was legit. So here it is. Um, for those of you in here this morning or watching online who are fearful or hesitant about stepping into something that you sense God is calling you into, before you jump into it, ask yourself, in what ways over the course of my life has God confirmed this call on my life? Like, like if you look back over your life, like how has God produced any fruit in your life that verifies that he's at work in this area that you're sensing a calling into? Because God will not lead you into a calling that he hasn't prepared you for and prepared for you. Before David ever fought Goliath, understand, Scripture tells us that God prepared him as a shepherd when he would fight, she when he would fight lions and bears to fend them off his father's sheep. Before Moses would lead the Israelites in the Exodus, God had groomed Moses as a leader in Pharaoh's palace for 40 years. And then God had groomed him in the desert as a nomad for another 40 years before God would ever use him to lead the Israelites in the desert. Before Joseph became prime minister of Egypt, he had learned to lead with integrity in Potiphar's house and in prison before God would use him. And so when fear keeps you from following through on God's calling your life, don't worry about that, but rather recall how God has prepared you through past experiences. Because your past experiences are often telling the story of where God is leading you into. Recall to mind how God has prepared. Recall to mind the past fruit that God has produced through your life in this area you're looking to. And then, and then let the winds, whatever, however big or small, the winds you've experienced, the winds you've gotten in those areas, let them remind you as you step out by faith, let them remind you that your God is bigger than your fears. And that brings us to the second action steps required in remembering. Not only should you look for confirmation of your call, but separate what are facts from your fears. And so the spies get back from this expedition and their report really should have ended in verse 27, where they say, the land is legit. Look at its front. I mean, the report should have ended there. And if it had ended there, it's likely that the Israelites um, would have geared up that very evening and taken possession of the land. Unfortunately, they kept talking. And verse 27 says, they said, it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. Then verse 28, they go, but. How many times have but gotten us in trouble? But the people who live there, man, they're powerful. Their cities are fortified and they are very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. I'll explain who they are later. The Anakites live in the Negev. So are the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites. They live in the hill country and the Canaanites. They live there near the sea along the Jordan. Then Caleb 
no doubt with Joshua beside him. Scripture says in verse 30, then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and we should take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. But, see, that's that word again. But the men who had gone up with him said, we, we, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. They said, the, the land we explored devours those living in it. And all the people we saw, there, all of them are of great Size. In fact, we saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak, the ones come from the Nephilim. And we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. Now, um, I, I should mention that um, the 12 spies can be broken up into two groups. So Joshua and Caleb make up one group, and then uh, the second group is made up of the 10 other naysayers, the other spies, right? And, and all 12 of them, all of them, observed the exact same fruitful land. And while Joshua and Caleb were filtering everything they saw through the lens of courage and, and obedience and just, you know, the, Caleb and Joshua had this dogged faith in God. While they're doing that, the 10 spies are filtering everything they saw through a lens of fear, pessimism, and just straight up unbelief. So they both have lens through which they're looking at this. And what's particularly troubling about the 10 spies report is that they give concrete facts. They give concrete facts about what they observe, but they over-exaggerate its implications. Let me walk you through it. They accurately report that the city walls were huge and well-fortified. They report that they saw the, an elite fighting force there, the Amorites, Jebusites, Mosquito Bites, the Olive Bites, right? They saw all of them there. And perhaps what was most scary to them um, was the presence of a race of giants descended from a man named Anak. Now, Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 10, and chapter um, 9, verse 2 tells us that the Anakites were a warrior people. They were a fighting race of people of great size, very possibly as large or even larger than Goliath, whom David defeated. I was thinking about how to give you a sense of what they were, um, for perspective, to give you a sense of what they were looking at or may have been looking at. And so let me, let me use this illustration. How many of you have ever seen the comedian Kevin Hart stand next to Shaquille O'Neal? Okay. <laughs> Scary, right? Right? Uh, here's another one. How many of you have ever seen uh, Shaquille O'Neal standing next to NBA legend Yao Ming? Okay, here's one more. Uh, how many of you have ever seen Yao Ming in a group of regular-sized people? All right, so, so these guys are basically saying, we saw a whole city filled with Shaquille O'Neal's and Yao Ming's who were special forces. Okay, so, so the presence of giants was a fact. But due to fear and unbelief, they begin to pile on the facts. They begin to pile on a set of false narratives. They got facts, but they're over-exaggerating its implications. Let me walk you through them. Verse 31, they say, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. This is false. Why? Because several months earlier, God had demonstrated that he was greater than the world's superpowers at that time. 
God had drowned the entire Egyptian army without Israel ever having to lift a finger. Not only that, while they're in the desert making their way, the Amalekites, one of the folks they were afraid of, tried to attack them, and God rescued them, saved them from it. So God had demonstrated that you don't even have to fight. I've got this. So, so no, they were not stronger because of what God had done. Verse 32, they said, the land we explored devours those living in it. Really? Because this is fear speaking. God had demonstrated once again that he was greater than even the natural elements. How? God sent 10 plagues that decimated the Egyptian economy. God showed that he was in control of the elements. He turned water to blood. He, 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 he sent hail from heaven. Um, he split the Red Sea. He brought water from a rock. He sent food from heaven. Like God over and over is going, I'm in control of the land. The land that you're afraid of obeys me. But they chose to forget that. Verse 33, they said, we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. Once again, this is just fearful speculation. Here's what's incredible about this. Um, we find out in Joshua that um, all the inhabitants of the land they were supposed to take over, rumors had actually gone ahead of the Israelites. Rumors had spread that the God of Israel was to be, you were to be afraid of him. Like rumors had spread that the God of Israel had completely destroyed the Egyptians. And scripture tells us that the inhabitants of Canaan were shaking in their boots at the thought that Israel was in their border. And so the Israelites are afraid of an army that's terrified of them. And what was most disconcerting about their report, their negative feedback, is that the, the, the fear of those 10 spies and their unbelief begins to go viral. I mean, talk about getting like 2 million hits in like one hour. Their fear begins, their unbelief and fear begins to go viral in Numbers chapter 14. So much so they became so fearful that they begin talking about stoning Moses in chapter 14 of Numbers, Numbers 14. They begin talking about stoning Moses, picking a new leader, and going back to what God had just saved him from in Egypt. But it was, it was all fear-based, fear-based opinions. It was distortion of reality. And by the way, we do the same thing when we think, when we say things like, um, you, you, God put something on your heart to step into and you start going, Man, this new venture will never work because, you know, I know somebody else who tried it, it didn't work. So I'm just not even, I'm going to quit before I start. Or we say things like, well, they will never consider me for this position. I, I don't have enough experience. I'm just going to stay where I'm at right now. Or God can't use me because I don't have any Bible education. You know, because God needs that before he can use you. Oh, here's one that's a lot more common, I think. Um, I'm not going to say anything. I shouldn't say anything because they'll think I'm stupid. Stop saying other people's no for them. And stop letting other people Say no on your behalf before you give God a chance to work. Sure, you don't have the qualifications. Sure, you're not skilled enough. It has never stopped God from accomplishing his will. In fact, a case could be made 
that 100% of the people God used in Scripture didn't have the qualifications for it. He prepared them. You know, we talk a lot about when we're about to step out in faith, we, we often make our fears into these mountains, right? We make our fears into these mountains and, and, and they become so big they seem impassable. But, but perhaps it's time that you and I start telling our mountains about our God. Right. Yeah, we just go to prayer and we're like, you know what, God? And, and, I, and, and quite frankly, like some of the things to help you in prayer when you're praying is when you're praying, um, recite what you've read in the scripture that God has done. Say, Lord, there was a, you're praying for healing in your life. Lord, I read in the scripture that there were people who were in severe pain and they came there and you healed them. I read in scripture that, that, that even in prison that you delivered Joseph I, I, and you, you go through scripture narratives and, and recite God's wins before you ask because that'll build up your faith and, remind, and then recite your own stories. Like, Lord, in 19-whatever, in 2000-this, Lord, I asked you for this, and I waited for months, and I waited for weeks, and they all told me it wouldn't happen, but then you came through. So, God, I am coming to you again because you're this great God who's done this, and so I'm coming to you believing in that. Remember at all times that your God, your God, your God, your God is bigger than your fears. That brings us to the third action step. My bad, I got a little excited there. <laughs> Tell you not to point at the camera, but I thought you needed to know that you're God. Action number three, look into your future with eyes of faith. And so, um, unlike the 10 spies, Caleb, along with Joshua, had a very different mindset about them. In fact, here's what God says about Caleb in Numbers 14, verse 24. He says, my servant Caleb has a different spirit about him. And he follows me wholeheartedly. In fact, we see that quite clearly in, in verse 30, right? Like, like everyone else is like, we can't do it. They're so big. They're so scary. And Caleb goes, stop. Like it says Caleb silences them. Like you can almost hear Caleb going, y'all need to shut up. Right? Like you ever been in prayer and you're like, be quiet. Like yeah, you just silence those negative voices. And Caleb goes, we, we, we should go up. Like we should go up and take possession. We can do it. I'm talking about one man standing against the tide. Unfortunately, the voices of fear prevailed. And unfortunately, the people voted with the 12 spies and they just flat out refused to go in and take possession of what God said, it's yours. And as a result, God sentences the whole nation to wander the desert for 40 years. Right. Till every adult 20 years and older had died. So, so he didn't just punish everybody. They, they, all the adults who should have really stepped up and said something is like, all right, you don't want to go? I'll bless your children. If you won't step out in faith, there's a new generation coming after you. I'll work in them and through them. And so everyone 20 years and older who came out of Egypt died, except for God only spared Caleb and Joshua. In fact, did you know Moses himself didn't actually go into the promised land? But that was for a whole other reason. Now, here's what makes Caleb um, the rock star in this story. Uh, like, 
So not only in verse 30 does he stand up against the tide, but uh, 40 years after this event, we find Caleb. We find a Caleb's faith in God, and Caleb's faith in what God can, could do through him has not waned one bit. Like in the book of Joshua, chapter 14, verse 10, which, by the way, is 40 years, from 40, 45 years after that day, Caleb comes to Joshua, and Joshua at this point, 40 years later, is now commander of the armies of Israel. He's been promoted. promoted. Moses is dead. He's the leader. He's leading them to conquer the land. And listen to this. 40 years later, Caleb comes to Joshua and tells him, Now then, just as the Lord promised me, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses while Israel moved about in the wilderness. So here I am today. I'm 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out, and I'm just as vigorous to go out and battle now as I was then. Now, give, give me the hill country. Give me the hill country that the Lord promised me that day. In other words, give me permission to go, because Joshua's the leader. Give me permission to go take that land. But you yourself heard that the Anakites were there, and their cities were large and fortified. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. But, like, this is the reason why some of us name our sons Caleb, right? Like he's twice his age and he's like, I'm still ready to go out there and throw it down. And listen, Caleb was not relying on his 85-year-old body. That's not what he's trusting in. But rather, Caleb trusted the God who spoke to him 40 years ago who said, go get that land, it's yours. Caleb trusted that that God was with him and would be with him. And you could imagine that for those 40 years, as Caleb suffered the consequences of everybody else's sin, you could imagine that every day while they circled and wandered that desert, every time that they walked around that desert and came past those borders, Caleb was looking at that land. He's thinking, oh, I'm coming. It's year 35. <laughs> oh, I'll be back. I'm coming. Right? It's year 21. And Caleb's like, oh, I'm coming. And every time they circled that desert, oh, it's year five. Oh, I'm coming to get the promise that God made to me. Right? And until literally the day of, comes up to Joshua. I'm ready. Give me what God, let me go get what God's assigned to me. And here's the best news. Joshua chapter 14 ends by saying that Joshua blessed Caleb and gave him the go-ahead to go get the land. And he went to go get this particular land that was appointed to Caleb, and his generation was a land called Hebron, which, by the way, if you know your Bible, has significant, has significant uh, uh, presence throughout the Scriptures. It's a significant place where Abraham allotted the patriarchs. This was part of their inheritance. And Joshua 14 says, So Hebron, listen to this, has belonged to Caleb ever since, because he followed the Lord God of Israel wholeheartedly. So listen, when you step out in faith in God's call on your life, his blessings as a result of your act of faith will yield results and rewards that will long outlast you. When God blesses Caleb, it wasn't just about him. Caleb's sons, 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 sons experienced that blessing. And when God is working in our lives, listen, I know some of us are praying for some things and we're not seeing God move and God's like, oh, I'm moving. 
It's just that I intend to do a lot more than you're asking me for. Because God's not just thinking about you. He's thinking about those around your sphere of influence and how he wants to replicate in their lives what he's doing in you. God's not just thinking about you. He's thinking about your sons, 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 the families down the line. And when you step out in faith, the blessing has a ripple effect on those who are around you. So here's a challenge for you. Some practical take-homes. Boldly begin to ask God to bless the work of your hands. Like if you, if you sense that God's calling you to step in a, this new calling, or perhaps you're already in it, ask God, boldly pray that, Lord, begin to bless the work of my hands. That as I work at this, expand its impact and beyond my ability, Lord, like multiply the impact of what I'm doing, whether it's products or services, like God bless what I'm doing, bless it, expand its impact so much so that only you can take credit. You know, you know what that is? That is when God begins to bless what you're doing and people are like, how are you doing this? And you're like, I don't know, God, just I prayed and I'm working hard and God's blessing it. Like pray the kind of prayers that when you pray, people in your prayer group are like, whoa. Make them a little nervous a little bit. Like pray God-sized prayers that are rooted in God's call on your life. Right? Pray according to his will. Don't just ask for random stuff that have no bearings on anything God's done in you. Pray bold prayers. Dare to ask God to do significantly more than your hands could accomplish. And here's the second part. You ready? Start preparing and rearranging your life in expectation that it's about to happen. Now that requires some faith, right? Like don't just pray big, but begin to live and, and prepare yourself in anticipation that God's going to do it. And then step back and let God work. And as you do both of these things, as you pray boldly and you boldly prepare, remember at all times that your God, your God, is bigger than your fears. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you so much that, Lord, you are a big God. I thank you, Jesus, that your word tells us that you're able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. Your word says in the scriptures, you say that, Lord, when your disciples talk, you says even greater things than you did will we do. You ask us to knock and to ask and to seek, to, to persist in prayer. You ask us to walk by faith. And so I'm, I'm praying, Lord, as my brothers and sisters head home from today, I pray that this message would not fall by the wayside. I pray it wouldn't be so easily dismissed. But Jesus, I pray that your spirit would be so powerfully at work in the heart of your people that they would begin to pray boldly. That, Lord, where they have prayed and been, been, been fearful, you would remove fear and fill them up with a, with a spirit of love, power, and a sound mind. And that they would pray boldly according to your will. That, Lord, if they are stepping into something you've not called them to or they are praying what you've not called them to pray or is not in line with your will, I ask that you would graciously redirect their hearts, redirect their steps, Lord God, to be in alignment with your will. And, Lord, as they do that, as they pray according to your will, fill them with the courage, fill them with the audacity to begin preparing like they believe, to begin preparing and getting themselves ready in anticipation that you're about to move.
And Lord, I pray for everyone who takes that step of faith in this house, that God, you would bless the work of their hands. As they step out in faith, you would exceed their expectation, Lord God. And may Christ be greatly glorified and magnified in their life, in their ministry, and in the work of their hands. I ask that you would do this, Lord, on behalf of your church, in Jesus' name. And the church said? Amen. 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 Hey, thank you.